0: You might hear typing during this episode, because I have things that I need to be getting done at this time, but whenever you hear it, like, when I'm editing, it's not so distracting that you're like, can somebody stop typing? Okay, yeah, I don't have anything new. This, I mean, nothing, I don't do anything. The only thing that I have to talk about is, like, I need to start, um, brainstorming for what I want my Halloween topic to be. I have like too many
1: ideas. I don't have any. Okay, you wanna hear mine? Yeah. Give you some inspiration maybe.
0: Um so. Because like the last my last Halloween one was the Exorcist one and mm-hmm. that was so much research, so I'm like, well I wanna get That's ahead a of fun it. One. I know, I really you like that the one. Exorcist house? That's Not when that we like I in, wanna but... get ahead of it so if it is as long as that one then i have the time and i'm not overwhelmed by trying to do it last minute you know
1: yeah because so there's still one that i want to do no matter what whether or not it's for halloween is is like i was like medieval german torture methods or something that we were talking about or execution methods yeah it was Mm -hmm. um and that that's not a bad one for halloween yeah i think i can get something better yeah um i think changelings like, the mythology behind changelings would be really fun. Uh-huh. I think little people, I don't mean, like, like people who are short. I mean, like, like leprechauns and fairies and um, pukwajis and, like, mythological little people. Yeah. Um, because those are my favorite mythology stories of all time. Love those kinds of stories. Um, and that would be a big one that I'd want to do, either in multiple parts or mm-hmm. like a Halloween-style one. I did witches last time.
0: Yeah, you so did. it would make
1: sense to do like
0: something like that.
1: Yeah, a big conglomeration. I don't I'm like, I don't things. want to do another
0: possession story because every other possession story that I've heard of is so boring. Like I don't care. And they're all like could do Ooh. most of them are foreign country ones. So like I won't be able to get as much good in depth research because I did so much research on the other one, but like it wouldn't all be in English. So I wouldn't be giving the mm-hmm. full story. Even if I thought I was. So I'm like, I don't want to do that. Um, and I don't really want to do, like, a run-of-the-mill murder. And I don't want to do that ha- the guy who poisoned his own kids on Halloween. Because he was stupid. And that's boring and overdone.
1: Or uh, well, you could do cannibals. Either in real life or in mythology. I might do that one, too. If he, That one will get done someday. Well, I don't want <laughs> to do that
0: for Halloween.
1: Um, okay, you don't want the, you want more something spooky wooky? Yeah, uh, I'm just looking at some of my um, saved things. Uh, you could do vampires, like the first ever vampire. Um, that could be good. Fuera Grando. That's a story that I had saved to tell at some point, but I haven't read it, so I wouldn't.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, if you want me to send you this information and like work off of that, maybe there's not enough just with this individual um this is one of the things where it's like if we had a reliable audience on like instagram we could put a poll (laughs) (laughs) Um, because i'm
0: like i want to do i don't know something maybe it'll be more of like a mystery thing of like some kind of real life monster story that's mm -hmm. unsolved or something like that i don't know if it'll necessarily be like a cryptid but Something like that. I don't know. Something that isn't like normally done for Halloween, because to me Halloween isn't about boring serial killers.
1: No, Halloween is not not a true tri- crime true true crime time in my yeah. mind. It's a otherworldly, yeah, and fun and par- paranormal mm-hmm. and yeah, folklorey. Okay, who's going first? Um, how fun is your story? It's a pretty good one. Well, have your second then. Okay, um, I have other stories in the future that I'm happy to tell second. This one is just an no. Okay I story. never care
0: where I go. I just know <laughs> I like the that fun sometimes to be you have a preference.
1: I like the fun ones to be second. That's why yeah. I always ask. Um, that's because that's just how I like to listen. That's how I like it when it's ordered when I listen to things. Yeah. Uh, so today's more like um, a weird and mildly upsetting history story. <laughs>
0: Okay.
1: It's, it is it uh, is paranormal in the sense that it's definitely not normal, but it is very real. Like, it undoubtedly exists.
0: <laughs> Do you have allergy medicine? I think I'm having a large reaction to something. Uh,
1: yeah. Do you want a Claritin? Whatever you got. That's the only thing I got.
0: Okay, that should take care of it. I just break out in hives on my face because that's totally normal. Sometimes it happens. Quite frequently, it happens. <laughs> okay, now I'm ready. I have okay. my allergy pill.
1: So, I'm gonna talk about the Colossus of Pro. pro I can't say it. <laughs> 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 <Pr-pr-> <laughs> I've been trying to do Spanish on um, Rosetta Stone, and you talk like in the front of your mouth with all of your letters, versus like this is a German word and you're supposed to do that all in the back of your mouth, so it's confusing my brain right now. Yeah. So, Pro. pro. <laughs> prora we'll do a really american instead right in the middle so the colossus of prora my sources are wikipedia i like double checked a whole bunch of other sources but they all said the same thing so i was just like we'll just do wikipedia yeah. and and wikipedia gets their sources from somewhere else so double check the colossus of prora wikipedia and go down to their sources you know wikipedia um <laughs> so this is located on the on a bay between um, Sassnitz and Bins on the island of Rugen in the Baltic Sea. Um, And it is a 2.8-mile stretch of eight identical buildings. Um, Well, it was supposed to be. It's not that anymore. But I read this was the ideal plan, was 28 miles stretch of eight eight identical buildings um, along the beach. So a giant beach resort is the goal, right? Yeah. So Robert Lay, head of the – deutsche arbeitsfort which is the german labor front i said that wrong. arbeitsfront not fort so robert lay works for this german government organization had the idea to create a um nazi Butlins. Butlins is a popular seaside resort for the average family in the uk so like the middle class can go and enjoy what the rich do is the idea yeah um so this is his idea for Prar. He wants to build the Butlins, but the biggest, best one that's ever existed. That's why you build it on the Baltic Sea.
0: Interesting.
1: <laughs> um, so an affordable holiday for the average worker is the goal here. Um, a beach resort for 20,000 people was the, like, the, a big that number. was the goal. Yeah. It's, it's huge. This this would be, if it existed, the biggest resort yeah period let alone a resort that was meant for the average joe
0: yeah um so all rooms are
1: supposed to have a seaside view and the hallway and utilities were going to be located on the land side of the building so like your main room is on the other is on the beachfront everything else so like bathrooms utilities closets are all supposed to be on the other side Mm -hmm. um which means there's there's no bad room Is the idea here you can't like upgrade to get the better view Mm because they all have a great view. Each room was designed to be sixteen feet by eight point two feet in diameter, contained two beds, a wardrobe, and a sink. Communal toilet, showers, and bathrooms were located on each floor, and that's on the other side, the non beach view side. So it's a definitely a more European setup, more hostel like setup, but you have individual
0: rooms. I do not want to have to share a bathroom with strangers. I don't even... Yeah, it's go- not ideal. Like, I literally go before I leave the house at any point in time, so I don't ever have to use a public restroom. <laughs> I hate them.
1: No, I understand. But also, like, this is the only way you could get all the... View- the. It was the compromise for the views. Yeah. It's also cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> so Hitler saw this project. This... Like, this project was existing. It was in in the works. Hitler mm-hmm. sees this project... Um, as an opportunity to make this resort the most mighty, the largest one to ever have existed. Like, he sees his opportunity to prove Nazi might, right? Um, I guess I should have, like, really warned that this was all about Nazis. <laughs> I mean, you said something about Nazis at the beginning, so I yeah. just assumed. Just so you know, all about Nazis. Um, he also wanted to have the ability to be... It, he wanted the buildings to have the ability to be converted into military hospitals in case oh, there was of ever course. a war um, of just you know course. just in case <laughs> he also wanted there to be a gigantic indoor arena that could hold all t- um, 20,000 of the guests at once like and then um, he wanted to have a large dock for passenger ships so he wanted to not only be this giant um, resort but also a cruise ship destination yeah. <laughs> Um, so the final design was the, for the whole project, um, was entered into the 1937 Paris World Exposition, where it won the Grand Prix Award. It was apparently a very good Mm. design. That's, that's one of the things, like, this was an insanely impressive project, basically. It's, it's, Nazis are bad. That's not the point here. (laughs) The project was, you know, like, it's like the Autobahn. Yeah. Like, that was... A thing that greatly improved transportation in Germany, not stimulated yet. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that's how you get your military. That's the same reason that our highways are so robust, is to get the military from one side to the other. Highways are a product of military necessity and um, preparedness. (laughs) So all major construction firms in Germany were involved. Nearly. a total of nearly 9,000 workers worked on this project at once. This isn't like over time. This is like how yeah. many went there to start this project. So in 1938, they spent um, 237.5 million Reichmarkt, which is about 2.3 billion U.S. dollars today. With the beginning of World War II in 1937, work on Para stopped, and the workers were moved to the um, V weapons plant. So like they just they pulled them all out. Did not matter what their skill set was. They needed to go work in the weapons plant. Um, this left eight housing blocks, um, the theater, and the cinema empty, unfinished shelves. They had literally just built the exteriors of these buildings. Um, they were not, like, usable structures yet. So construction never began on the swimming pool and the festival hall, so the big... The, mm-hmm. the Hitler's big dream hall, where you could indoctrinate and use propaganda on 20,000 people at once. Um, so, if the whole project had been completed, it would have been the largest holiday resort in the world. I already said that. Um, like, still to this day, too? It would have... Yes. Do you, it, No one else is bothered to make one that big because it's not practical. Yeah. This is something you can only do under a dictatorship that has Well, money. I don't know.
0: I, I'm not rich. <laughs> I've never been to a resort. I don't know how big they are. That is fair. I've also <laughs> I don't a have resort. a clue.
1: Um, but usually resorts are, like, maybe two buildings. From yeah, I've seen this would have been the biggest individual block of resort. Um, during World War II, the buildings were first used to house refugees from allied bombing raids. Um, so as in German refugees that like the English were bombing out, or we were bombing out, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think we we're involved in the war that early, but you know, this is the uh, allied as in us, their access. <laughs> um, so German refugees are housed there from the bombing raids, um, specifically from Hamburg and then other parts of East Germany, because East Germany gets like hit the hardest. Yeah. With with the bombing raids, later it is used as auxiliary auxiliary housing for female Luftwa- Luftwaffe personnel, just the female Luftwaffe personnel. I don't know why. Mm. And I didn't realize there was that many to need auxiliary no. housing for it. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Nazi history. No, I don't either. <laughs> After World War II, Regan was made part of um, East Germany, so the, the island where the complex is located. Yeah. Um, is made part of East Germany and is put under Soviet control. So the Soviet army made Prora into a military base from 1945 to 1955. During that time, they demolished two of the housing blocks that were, um, and when they abandoned Prora, they stripped the buildings of all usable materials. Like, like during the war, the buildings had been made increasingly more useful because obviously yeah. they're housing people. Um, so they took everything out, stripped all the usable materials, and abandoned the structures. Um, so they've been abandoned like basically twice now. <laughs> yeah. After the Soviet military stopped using the resort, um, East German military moved in and restored the buildings to use them as military housing. The northernmost... Standing buildings were used for urban combat training. So they just left them as shells and did, like, you know, like you've seen, you know, yeah, you've seen that where they like drop in and kick through windows, but it's just like mm-hmm. everything's just cement. Yeah. <laughs> it's all fake buildings. Um, so that's what they used the northernmost because those were always the least finished or the northernmost yeah. set of these buildings. Um, after reunification in 1990, it was taken over by the German armed forces who marked it for demolition. They're like, this is just. It's, one, a waste of space, two, an immediate reminder of, like, Nazism and Nazi propaganda.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so they said, we, we should get rid of this. Yeah. Instead, it was given landmark status and tax breaks were oh, offered to developers of to renovate the buildings. I think it came down to the point, it's like, well, no, we don't want to forget the bad things that happened. This is a monumental reminder because... Uh, Like, almost everything I've ever seen in Germany is extremely, extremely good at being, like, bad things happened. And here's all the bad things that this thing did. Mm -hmm. And, like, they keep it to remind you in a big, big way. Yeah. Um, There's, they're they're not, it's not like, remember the Alamo? And then mentions absolutely nothing about why the Alamo happened. Yeah. it was all about slaves um, and the right to have them.
0: I was going to say, I don't know anything (laughs) about the Alamo. I think we talked about that before. The
1: Alamo is part of a conflict that was involving um, Texans wanting slaves in Texas. And Mexico having outlawed slavery saying no slaves in Texas and they were like well then we'll be America and then they had a war Aww, the so
0: that they can never fix them
1: Kenya um, yeah the, the, the reason they start is real messed up <laughs> the reason their estate bad <laughs> anyway so instead they decide no we're gonna save these big buildings um, we're gonna offer tax breaks to people who want to renovate and make them into something new they don't have they didn't have to take all of them they could just take a portion even just a floor you know so from 1990 to 1994 some of the buildings were used for military technical school for a military technical school and later um they were used as refugee housing again during the 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 balkan wars crisis civil war whatever that was there was a conflict there it was a bad time refugees from there stayed here throughout the 90s it was also used as a museum And for the first time, and oh, and for a time, it was used as the largest youth hostel in Europe. So it did get to be the largest of something for a time. Yeah. That had to be an insane youth hostel that big. Um, If it ever filled up all the way. I don't know. I
0: can't imagine. Um,
1: You know, it might be pretty hot, but in the summer... See, I went to Rügen in October, and it was a very cold time to go to the beach on the Baltic Sea. (laughs) A notoriously cold sea. Um, So, Perot was part of a bigger picture. Um, Kraft durch Freude, Strength Through Joy Program, was a campaign ran by the Nazi party designed to attack the working class who are the power base of the Social Democrats.
0: Everybody has got to leave us alone. Hey, this is starting to sound well, like but America right now, <laughs> isn't it?
1: Right? <laughs> <laughs> Remember, the working class is where all power is.
0: <laughs> I wish I had any power. I'm um, a woman. I don't have anything.
1: But the, their power is only when they join together. So as long as you can control <laughs> them, whoever's on top, they got it. So this program offered numerous cultural events and mass tourism opportunities to afford at affordable prices. These opportunities were of course um, saturated in Nazi ideology and propaganda and were used as opportunities to indoctrinate the masses both in Germany and internationally. So even activities including concerts, theater productions, weekend trips, um, so events and activities included. Sorry, I read that really wrong. Events and activities included concerts, theater productions, weekend trips, and vacations. Workers would enter uh, Kadayev competitions, and they would win prizes to send them and their families to local events and even extended vacations within Germany and abroad. Mm. So it sounds like a really great deal. <laughs> suspicious. All these opportunities to do all these free fun Pretty things. Pretty suspicious. Um,
0: but it was all bad. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, it was. here's the thing. Going to them was not necessarily bad. Like, people were enjoying it. Mm-hmm. They weren't, like... Bad Bad intentions. the The intentions were bad. The quality was not necessarily bad. I don't know. I've not done these things. Um, These activities were often organized around work, specifically around work. Um, Happened after work, like just they made sure everything started after the normal like work. Day yeah. And then or they would be specifically on weekends. Like they'd be like long weekends. They'd just be little weekend gatherings. Yeah. Like, they they were meant for someone who had to work every day for them to be able to enjoy these opportunities. Yeah. Um the first full year the program operated, which was nineteen thirty four, four hundred thousand people took Katayev tours. In nineteen thirty seven, one point seven million people took the tours. Um which is eight that's that's so many that's people. <laughs> um, seven million participated in weekend excursions and one point six million participated in organized hikes. Remember, people are doing these more than once. It's not necessarily seven million individual people. Yeah. It means that's seven That's who many, attended yes. that day. And yeah, there was lots that, of, at that was, time. Whatever. Yes. It's, out of all the weekends in that year, if some you could go each time <laughs> every yeah. single weekend you go to the activity as one person and you count for every weekend you went. If we use the 39 census, which includes Austria, Sudetenland, and Memeland, because occupation had already begun by that time, mm-hmm. there were 8 million inhabitants. Thanks so like half of them?
0: Because you said 4 million for something, right?
1: No, I said 7 million. Oh. Or sorry, so 80. So all of them? 80 million inhabitants. Oh. <laughs> <Not really laughs> very long. There are 80 million people living in German-occupied areas in 1939. Um, But, like, like 7 million is a decent portion of the population that is participating in these activities. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, even 1 million is a decent portion of the population participating in these activities. In the workplace, businesses that employed over 20 people were assigned wardens of the state um, to ensure good working conditions, like improving the hygiene of the workplace, providing toilets, locker rooms, and proper washing facilities, which does imply that they did not have these things before, but when you consider the time period in the world, no one had that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this would be a huge change. And think about how hard it is to get those in some working places now, Amazon. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you can't have it at all. That's what the answer is to that. So, uh, they also, like, they're really doing a good job convincing people to join the Nazi Party by doing all these crazy changes. Even yeah. though the Nazi Party has fundamentally terrible ideology. Um they also worked to improve air quality and reduce noises noise at work. Mm-hmm. By 1938, 34,000 workplaces were improved, mainly through the overpaid, uh, the unpaid overtime work of the employees of said businesses. Uh. So, um, you had so it's like someone came into your work and said, "Yes, you employ you, you employ 20 people." Um Which means you have to provide these things. And the business owner says, "Great, how are we doing that?" And the warden says, "Oh, well, obviously you're right here, do it yourself. <laughs> your workers will do it. They will build their bathrooms. they will build their locker rooms.. Um, Jeez. And you know they had to. That wasn't an yeah. option. <laughs> That's so ridiculous because it was state mandated that they had to have these things. So um, getting there is a little messed up, but the idea on paper, which is, I think, like, the whole entire thing with all of Nazi propaganda. The of paper, great. And then they implement it and bad, bad things happen. Yeah. <laughs> so sports were encouraged to improve Jeez. physical well, and... don't
0: make it sound like we agree with Nazis. No, we do <laughs> not agree with Nazis.
1: <laughs> I, like, everything on paper is a good idea. No, but, like, that's... I mean, that's that's the... <laughs> that's their thinking. That's the big thing with propaganda as a whole, though, is everything sounds so good on paper.
0: It's always too good and to be true. And then you implement it. The grass it, is always greener. And they're like, yeah, we'll,
1: we'll get you this new thing. Yeah, totally. Don't suddenly You've got to do it yourself. But you have to do all of it and you also have to pay for <laughs> it. But we're going to force you to do it by law. Yeah. The bad times. They were the bad times then. Some new bad times now.
0: The bad times have never ended. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> when have there been good times? I think it depends on who you are. Well,
1: but for the majority of the population, no, you're right. There's never really been any uh, good times. So yeah, sports were encouraged to improve physical and mental health, and I'm gonna have to guess that sports does not mean the American definition of everyone's playing like organized baseball. Um, They make them like run
0: miles. Doing German
1: sport, you know, we make you know, it's just like just being active. Literally, it's exercise.
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) but like, hardcore Germans are really into exercising all the way. Really. Yeah like intense, like, oh, we're going to go on a hike, you know, we're going to go on a walk, and it's actually what we consider a hike here. I don't want to know what they consider a hike. (laughs) If their walks are considered hikes for me. So yeah, sports were encouraged to improve physical and mental health, and the sports office organized physical education events for workers and pushed employers to build recreational facilities like tennis courts. Um... Yeah, so everyone was forced to exercise. Is what that sounds
0: like. <laughs> they had to exercise on the things that they were forced to build, which yes. equals exercise. Which is also so exercise. Exercising On top of their exercise.
1: <laughs> Great, you guys built the tennis court today. Now do. you okay, now go play tennis. One hundred jumping jacks, <laughs> yeah. and then play tennis. <laughs> Trying to make this really fit population for the war that they knew they were going to have. The Volkswagen was a product of this program by the way. It's a pro- it's a product of like manipulating the working class. It was they made vehicles that um for the people that the average worker could afford. So like the simplest model price it wait. Yeah, the simplest model was priced at um $1,280. Wow.
0: Basically what the price of my car is costing <laughs> right now. Yeah. This was
1: um about Jeez. a f- around a fourth of a worker's annual income. So, like, you might have to take out a loan, but it's the loan you can pay back in five years.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, like, that's that's a, that's a good deal. It's something that people can, like, do, you know? It's not that now. No, um, so, not even close. So the radio was a key tool of the Nazi party. Um, the People's Receiver, which is a radio that was invented at a low cost that everyone could afford to have in their home. In their home. In their home. In their home. <laughs> everyone could afford to have this radio in their home because it was really cheaply made um and part of this part of why it was also really cheaply made besides the low cost is that um it was meant to have an extremely short reception range which was perfect in forcing people to listen to only local german stations and it got Mm. to the point that listening to non-german radio stations became a criminal offense (laughs) around the same time that these radios were introduced (laughs) Like it came hand in hand. Here's here's a new radio everyone can buy, and you can only listen to our propaganda. You will be arrested um, if you don't listen, you listen to it, what's already programmed on. Exactly, um, yeah. And penalties for listening to other radio stations ranged from fines and radio confiscation to, especially once the war had started, like World War One, World mm-hmm. War Two had started, um, sentences to concentration camps and or the death penalty became um, consequences for listening to non-German radio stations. Wild. So it's like they introduce all these things is really exciting, and then they mm-hmm. get real bad real fast. Yeah. Including for the people they're supposed to be good for. So the goal of all these efforts was to promote a sense of community amongst everyone, increase the health and predict- productivity of their citizens, um, which are actually just their soldiers.
0: hmm
1: The goal is to make a fit, healthy fighting force. Encourage patriotism and increase support and trust in the government. They're like, look at all these things we're doing for you. Trust us.
0: We're never, good. Never trust any um, government at any time ever. Yeah. For any know, reason. The goal is to promote
1: Nazi ideology at work, home, during recreational activities, um, just any at, at all times. Anything you're doing at all times, it's just Nazi ideology being pumped into your head. Um That's 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 the whole that's the concept of Prora and um, a product of this giant Propaganda scheme for Nazism
0: Well, it's very interesting. Very like today.
1: I I thought it was when I was writing. I was very like, this something is very I timely. hadn't heard of. It was an interesting thing, and it was like slightly concerning that it existed and why. And then I was like, ah, oh, but if I pair it with the insane, um, like Kraft durch Freude.
0: Yeah. Pro-
1: project of of what they were doing to manipulate the working class. Like things aren't just given to you for free. There's always a cost.
0: So today, everybody. My story is not about Nazis, as far as I'm aware, it is about the Flannel Isles Lighthouse. I got my information, okay, so I, I did this research in April, okay. Um, so if I don't remember things, be forgiving. I got my information from wikipedia.org, history.co.uk, rmg.co.uk, historyhit.com. It. nlb.org.uk 9news.com.au and discoveruk.com so we will start with the history the lighthouse was designed by David Allard Stevenson for the Northern Lighthouse Board and it was constructed on the Flannel Isles which was and is I guess an uninhabited rocky island um, off the western coast of Scotland there's like a few of them
1: in the a lot clump, of islands. I
0: think. Yeah, a no, but like there. these flannel
1: yeah, like, aisles. Yeah, it's like it's, I don't um, know if it's an archipelago, but it's that kind of
0: yeah, idea. Um and it was done between 1895 and 1899 by George
1: Lawson,
0: right? Yeah. I'm trying to figure out cuz it was designed by David. I'm
1: Yeah, so David would design it, but George George Lawson would either pay for it or build it, yeah. At a cost of
0: 1,899 pounds, dollars, whatever it is. Money Um, units. Which is now (laughs) 233,361 buckaroos in 2021. Um, So this included the lighthouse, landing places, stairs, and railway tracks. Um, All of the materials used had to be hauled up the 148 foot 45 meter in brackets (laughs) cliffs directly, I'm not saying like that's an additional (laughs) adding on to it um, from supply boats and then another 3,526 pounds slash dollars
1: was used
0: uh, on the shore station at (laughs) BraySkelet
1: it's like how (laughs) A little kid says bracelet.
0: (laughs) On the Isle of Lewis. (laughs) I have
1: such a hard... Where is this located? Scotland? Scotland. I have such a hard time with Scottish words. I Um. apologize for any (laughs) Scottish words I ever use ever. I don't know what letters I am and I'm not supposed to say. (laughs) So
0: the lighthouse is 23 meters or 75 feet tall and was first lit on December 7th, 1899. The railway tracks purpose... Was to facilitate the transportation of provisions for the keepers and fuel for the lighthouse, um, up the steep, steep hill cliffs to get to where they pretty. were, um, and it was you a cable hauled railway. Oh,
1: oh, okay, yeah, that's not a um, but.
0: It was powered by a small steam engine in a shed by the lighthouse.
1: This is so common though for um like. Most lighthouse bills that are in any sort of thing like that to have the cable the railway, railway system from the. Yep, See, I had never common. seen
0: it because the stories I've covered have been like the American lighthouses, which no, is on like a no, rock, but it's not it like the ones that I've covered, it's not like super cliffy. One of us covered one where there was like a tragic death because the rope snapped and the children died. We have never covered a story with children dying um, on the lighthouse.
1: Well, i got to find that one. I'll tell you guys that one because that was a fun time. I mean, it's not a fun time. It was a bad
0: time. Bad time for the children. Interesting place. <laughs> um, so I was like, we have never covered that. Have I been there? We've covered a lot of lighthouses probably. Yeah, when, when did I learn about this? <laughs> it might have been in Michigan. I was going to say, we've never <laughs> covered one Michigan. with the railroad tracks that we've I've talked no, about. I've, this is a this is thing. Please um, please. So in 1925, the lighthouse became one of the first Scottish lights to receive communications from the shore by wireless telegraphy. Um, Telegraphy. That's what it says.
1: I don't think we call it that here. Well. What's anyway. a, wait, what's
0: a wireless telegraph? <laughs> a phone call? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, in in the 1960s, the island's transport system was modernized. The railway was removed, which left behind the concrete bed that served as a road for a gnat, which is a three-wheeled rubber-typed, cross-country vehicle like okay. I guess like a like a four-wheeler but a three-wheeler no this um and it was powered by a 400 cubic centimeter four-stroke engine
1: it was just used for like a such short amount of time and like with a very specific population it's just not to where people know so wireless telegraphy is tele- telegraphy. Tele- telegraphy
0: correct Come on. <laughs> on September 28th well I'm always like if it's wrong that's not my fault because I just took the notes you know, I didn't make it. I was just, I'm I not the a one weird that, typo. <laughs> I'm not the one that put this research into the websites. Yeah. Um so on September 28th, 1971, the lighthouse was automated. A reinforced concrete helipad was added to enable maintenance visits in heavy weather. This new light um, has a range of 17 nautical miles and it is now motorized from the Butt of Lewis which is the most northerly point of Lewis? <laughs> it makes sense. in the outer Haybrids I can't you know I'm not gonna try because I don't speak it so um, which one? the Haybrides? oh I said Haybrids I, I just know that anyway, one a anyway and the shore station has been <laughs> converted into flats apartments people because you didn't know um what? St. Augustine lighthouse yeah i don't think we covered that one i don't think so either we covered something in st augustine but not i don't think it's
1: been the lighthouse but that's the lighthouse with it
0: okay let's see here what am i doing what am i doing where am i okay so now we are at not the history anymore we've covered the history we're on to the meaty part of this story so the transatlantic steamer archer traveling from philadelphia to the port of Leith passed the Flannel Isles Lighthouse on the night of December 15th, 1900 and noticed that the light was off and noted in their log that the light was not operational in poor weather conditions. The crew docked in Lath three days later and news was passed to the Northern Lighthouse Board. Although some sources said that it never made it to the board, but I don't know if that's correct or not. Um, anyway, but news made it to someone that something was going on at flannel. So the board sent out, which doesn't make sense because like how it, they sent it to the board and then some sources were like, well, the board never got it. But then the board is the people who send out a ship. So I'm like, this is not adding up research. Anyway, so the board sent out the Lighthouse Review tender ship Hesperus to investigate. Unfortunately, they weren't able to sail as planned on December 29th. So this is from the first time this light was noticed being off was the fifteenth,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then news wasn't really made until well, it could have it would have been before the twenty ninth, but they would have yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Still, it's taken a long time, um, but they weren't able to go on the twenty ninth due to bad weather, and that they did not end up reaching the island until noon on. Okay, I've typos somewhere. <laughs> It says
1: they didn't make it there until
0: the 26th. So, so it anyway, like it took them time. Yeah. Well, no, because <laughs> you can't <laughs> travel. Well, backwards. No, no, but like whatever. So it was, anyway, it took so them. they were planning on going before the 26th of December, but they couldn't. The 29th is the incorrect date I've typoed, or someone else has typoed. So the light. Ha- anyway, they don't make it to the island until noon on December 26th of 1900 so the lighthouse at this time was manned by three men james ducat thomas marshall and donald macarthur um with a rotating fourth man joseph moore who spent time on shore and would i guess like relieve who needed it i i think that means or does that mean
1: four are rotating so everyone has the time to be on shore okay And he was just the one that was on shore right now. Okay, okay. That's what I think that means.
0: So when the crew of the Hesperus, is that what you said? That's what you said. I never
1: said that word. Oh.
0: (laughs) And the relief keeper arrived. They saw that the flagstaff had no flag. None of the usual provisions boxes had been left on the landing stage for restocking. And most shockingly, none of the lighthouse keepers were there to welcome them ashore. Um, They arrived at the East Landing, and Jim Harvey, the captain of Hesperus, tried to get their attention by blowing the ship's whistle and firing a flare, but there was still no sign of them.
1: It's like maybe they just didn't hear us.
0: (laughs) Maybe they're sleeping. So they they don't have that accent. (laughs) So they launched a boat, and Joseph Moore was put ashore alone. He found the entrance gate to be to the compound, um... The main door and the door after that all closed. The kitchen door was open and it was and it appeared as if the fireplace had been had not been lit for several days. The beds were unmade and all of the clocks were stopped. Returning well, Yeah, you had to
1: wind them every day. Yeah. Or like every so often. Then, so so returning to the, the landing stage with his
0: news <laughs> he returned to the lighthouse with Hesperus's second mate and a seaman there which these people, I guess, just weren't worth mentioning their names. So their further search found that the lamps had all been cleaned and refilled. A set of oil skins was found, which suggested that one of the keepers had left the lighthouse without them. Um, and there was still no sign of any of the keepers inside or anywhere on the island. They also found that the lighthouse light was in perfect working order, but it just wasn't on. Um... So it wasn't like it had broken and no, just no one had needed lit. repairing. Yeah, so Moore and three volunteer seamen were left on the island to attend the light, at, and Hesperus returned to Lewis. Um, Captain Harvey sent a telegram to the Northern Lighthouse Board dated December 26, 1900, that said, quote, a dreadful accident has happened at the Flannels. The three keepers, Ducat, Marshall, and the Occasional, have disappeared from the island. The clocks were stopped and other signs indicated that the accident must have happened about a week ago. Poor fellow, they, poor fellow, they must have been blown over the cliffs and drowned trying to secure a crane
1: so that's what they think happened
0: yes well that's what this man at least this said. captain harvey thinks happened yeah um on eileen moore the men oh i'm stupid so on eileen moore the men scoured every corner of the island for clues what are you what are we talking about eileen moore is that a different side of the island I,
1: I think it's just another island
0: I don't know. So the men scoured every corner of the island for clues of what may have occurred um, that made these keepers just randomly disappear. Um, they found that everything was intact at the east landing, but the west boat landing showed a lot of evidence of damage caused by recent storms. So, like, whenever that ship had gone past, it oh, that's, saw... that's
1: the name of the island where all this is happening. It's an island that's a part of the flannels.
0: Everybody, I'm dumb. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's okay. Um, let's see here. So like whenever that boat was passing, it was a bad storm that one other ship couldn't go out as soon as they wanted to because of a mm. bad storm. So like it just hasn't been good weather and I don't believe there's mostly good well, weather is. in this
1: area. It's also the winter.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so um, a box at 33 meters uh, 108 feet above sea level had been broken and its contents were strewn about. Iron railings were bent over and some were even missing. The iron railway by the path was wrenched out of its concrete and a rock weighing more than a ton had been displaced. Um, on top of the cliff at more than 60 meters 200 feet above sea level Turf had been ripped away as far as 10 meters, 33 feet, from the cliff's edge. Um, there was also a life preserver thing for emergencies. They said something, but I was like, I don't know what that means. So there's some type of life preserver. We can all picture that in our heads uh-huh. um, for emergencies that kept that was kept along the railings in case somebody fell in, mm-hmm. um, and that was 110 feet up, and it was missing. Um, and it was alleged that this damage was already reported in the keeper's log and may have had something to do with the disappearance. But I haven't seen the log myself, so I can't say if that's true. Because um, some sources said that, but I was like, okay, so then where's the proof? Because that, everybody says it and
1: So it may or may not have been previously recorded and yes. have nothing to do with the incident. By the people
0: who, yeah. So yeah. anyway, on December 29th, the actual 29th now, people... <laughs> um, Robert Murrayhead? M- Muirhead? A Northern Lighthouse Board superintendent arrived to conduct the official investigation into the incident. Wh- what is. Moorhead had <laughs> originally. I think
1: Moorhead's how you pronounce it with either spelling.
0: Um, he had originally recruited all three of the missing men and knew them personally. Um, he had taken note of the exact outfits the men had left the lighthouse in so um, he said that MacArthur left without the only coat that he was known to wear and since it was December this was very strange Uh, Moorhead Muirhead examined the clothes left behind in the lighthouse and concluded that Ducat and Marshall had gone down to the western landing stage and that MacArthur the occasional as he was quoted mm-hmm. in the yeah. in the one guy's like the telegram, um, telegram had left the lighthouse during heavy rain in his shirt sleeves, just no coat on. Yeah. Um, he noted that whoever left the light last and unattended was in breach of the NLB rules. He also noted that the that some of the damage to the West Landing was quote difficult to believe unless actually seen.
1: I mean, like when you described it, it sounded insane. Yeah. So, like he said, came up and grabbed a trunk and left. Yeah.
0: (laughs) He said, "Quote from evidence which I was able to procure, I was satisfied that the men had been on duty up till dinner, up till dinner time on Saturday the fifteenth of December, that they had gone down to secure a a box in which the mooring ropes, landing ropes, etc., were kept." And which was secured in the crevice in the rock about 110 feet, 34 meters above sea level, and that an extra large sea had rushed up to the face of the rock, had gone above them, and coming down with immense force had swept them completely away. This event tarnished the lighthouse's reputation for many years after the incident. I think,
1: based on uh, um, the the initial people who went there's reporting, they like. We think they were securing a crane and they got washed over, and that they're not mentioning the really crazy damage mm-hmm. means that the damage was known. Yeah. So I think it probably was written down in that book.
0: Um, so no bodies were ever found, but there have been some mysterious sightings resulting in, quote, fascinated national speculation in newspapers and periodicals. James left behind a wife and four children. Donald left a wife and two kids behind, and who was the other guy? James Donald. The occasional. <laughs> is that the last one. No, Donald is the occasional. It's Thomas. Thomas. I don't. They didn't write anything about poor Thomas. Thomas. Might not have had a family. So. So with hardly any clues being found on the island. There was one guy who might have had some sort of answers, and this man was Gamekeeper Roderick McKenzie. I love it. <laughs> Since there was no radio contact or other way to contact the lighthouse, the men on Eileen Moore were pretty much stranded. So if something happened and they needed assistance, the lightkeepers would use poles with a ball or discs attached to them. Um... And would place them so they could, and would place them out on the lighthouse balcony so someone could spot their message. I'm not sure exactly. I assume that the different balls and discs. Well, yeah, they meant something, but I'm saying, like, I don't know what exactly, like, how you spelled stuff out. Or what was your distressing that you're sending.
1: It might be similar to, like, sea flags.
0: Yeah, it might be. So, um,. Eighteen miles southeast of the island is Head, where Mackenzie was paid eight pounds a year to watch for communications from the lighthouse. Every night, Mackenzie would note whether or not he could see the light and whether the signals were seen during the day. The Northern Lighthouse Board came to check with him after the disappearances, and he reported that he had been unable to see the lighthouse tower between December 7th and December 29th, but he had been able to make out the light on December 12th, but didn't see it again until the 26th, when Moore had lit it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it
1: wasn't on on the... There was a time frame where it didn't matter if it was lit or not, he wasn't going to be seeing it? Due to weather conditions? Well, it's... you
0: know it seems like he couldn't see the tower, which I'm assuming was, like, the the little things they would put on there. Oh, the ball. But he could still disk, see the light. he could see the light. But he... Well, he could only see it on the 12th. But then... Anyway. Visibility so, seemed yeah, to be in Visibility is iffy at this point. So, he had... He said the absence of the light had distracted him, but there was no indication that he ever reported it to anybody until... The Northern Lighthouse Board came to question him. Well, they only paid him eight pounds a year. I wouldn't go do anything right now. He's like, I kept note of it. That's my job. That's my job. To note it.
1: Matt, report. What more do you want me to
0: do? So, according to the National Lighthouse Board, Mackenzie had agreed to quote, report a failure immediately by telegram to head office in Edinburgh so that the necessary steps could be taken to have someone sent to carry out repairs as soon as possible. So it is thought that if an actual lighthouse keeper had his role, that had that help would have been sent a lot sooner. Because mm-hmm. this guy is, like, either doesn't remember that he agreed to do that or just doesn't care enough to do that. He
1: also might not know, like, um, the full imp- like,
0: gravity of the job. What it can mean, yeah. Like, he's um, just like,
1: you're supposed to mark when that light is showing, okay, yeah. and, like, never is told more than that. So and then you're not going to care as much. Yeah. Because <laughs> so you're just doing, like, research at that yeah. point.
0: So, allegedly, at one time, DuCant had asked the Lighthouse board superintendent if they could conduct some sort of experiment to see how long it would take someone to notice a signal from shore and respond appropriately, but it was never approved. So, many so theories. opportunities <laughs> now if someone wants to go prove that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, many theories came up um, like a sea serpent had carried the men away. I think it's that one. Um that they had arranged for a ship to take them away and start new lives.
1: I don't think it's that one.
0: <laughs> that they had been abducted by foreign spies. It might be that one. Um, that they had been d- abducted by aliens. I don't think it's that one. Or that they had met their fate through the malevolent presence of a boat filled with ghosts. <gasps> That's the best one. Um, the the ba- I don't know what this says. It, this was due to some influence of the Phantom of the Seven Hunters, which was a uh, widely speculated a local. So I think it was a local thing. legend. Yes. Or, a, or some or kind or of book that they're all there's into. A book, yeah, a I'm radio sure.
1: show that came out recently. Um,
0: so more than 10 years later, the events were still being uh, commemorated and elaborated on. The 1912 Ballard uh, ballad. ballad. <laughs> Flannel Isle by Wilfred Wilson Gibson. Who names these? Who is naming this every time? What? What? Wilfred Wilson Gibson. Please, that that one does
1: not roll off the tongue.
0: (laughs) I was at the story where these people. I'm just like, who is naming you? Who? Um. Anyway, so that man wrote about the disappearance. Um, I believe. So, so, this is part of the ballad, okay. Quote, Yet, as we crowded through the door, we only saw a table spread, For dinner, meat, and cheese and bread. But all untouched and no one there, As though when they sat down to eat, Oh, air, air, they could not taste. <laughs> I don't know old-timey stuff. Alarm had come, and they in haste had risen and left the bread and meat, for at the table, head a chair lay tumbled on the floor.
1: Seven hunters didn't have anything for the flannels. So I think it's just a local mythology of this okay. haunting presence.
0: Um. However, so, okay, so people had come to believe this as truth, this bowed mm-hmm. that this man had wrote. But in a first-hand account made by Moore, the relief keeper, he had stated that, quote, the kitchen utensils were all very clean, which is a sign that they must... That it must be after dinner sometime that they had left. So it was. So they not had had like dinner, yeah, cleaned, cleaned up. up There's not any chairs knocked over. This is wrong. Mm-hmm. He's he's making stuff up, mm-hmm. Wilfred. Um, so over time, a story developed that there were unusual logbook entries in existence. Allegedly in them, Marshall said on December 12th that there were, quote, severe winds, the likes of which I have never seen before in 20 years. Um, He also said to have reported that Ducat had been, quote, very quiet and that Donald MacArthur had been crying. Um, MacArthur was a Intense veteran. Intense seasonal depression. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, MacArthur was a veteran mariner with a, rep- a reputation for brawling. So it was thought to be strange for him to be crying in response to a storm. Um, log entries on December 13th were said to have stated that the storm was still raging, and that all three men had been praying. But the light um, is seen on
1: on the 12th. This would so that's have.
0: Yeah. Also, been strange because all three men were experienced lighthouse keepers who knew that they were in a secure structure 150 feet above sea level and should have known that they were I safe mean, inside of the lighthouse. But we've already discussed the damage that was done to the
1: island. But that's also on the, the edges of the island. No, I know. So it's but not like, in the middle of the island. But like, what if it comes a little bit closer, you know? <laughs>
0: um, and MacArthur alone had been a lightkeeper for 20 years. So everybody still thinks it's weird that all of them would be this freaked out by that one out that storm. Much, yeah. Um, but I mean, to me, like it makes sense if they're all praying because this was a time when everybody prayed about everything constantly. But it's it's almost weird that it it's would have been written that about. It's they're
1: noting. You know, it. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, but like I said, this is like not proven um, yeah. recordings. So there was also no report of storms in the area on the twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth of December. Um the final log entry is said to have been made on December 15th stating quote storm ended sea calm god is overall. However, an investigation by Mike Dash for the 14 Times revealed that the logbooks were fictional. Oh. Um but also who's Mike Dash to say? No idea. Exactly. So <laughs> further research here, say. <laughs> yeah. So Further research took into account the geography of the islands. The coastline of Eileen Moore um, is deeply indented with narrow gullies called geos. Is that what it says? Um, The west landing, which is situated in a deep geo, ends in a cave. Um, in high sea or storms, water would rise in the cave and then explode out again with a lot of force. Oh, I bet that's how, what happened
1: is there was a new tunnel that exploded out at the side of the cliff.
0: Um, it was possible MacArthur... Not, not that killed them, but, like, yeah, damage. It was possible MacArthur may have seen a series of large waves approaching the island and, knowing the likely danger of his colleagues, ran down to warn them, only to be washed away in a violent swell. Mm-hmm. Um... A recent research by James Love discovered that Marshall had previously was previously fined five shillings when his equipment was washed away during a huge storm. So it is likely that he and Ducat tried to secure their equipment during a storm and were swept away. And the of MacArthur, although he was required to stay behind to man the lighthouse, can be guessed to be the same because he saw them struggling or something or noticed yeah. they hadn't come back after some time, went out looking for them. The same thing happened to him. Um, love speculates. Yeah, what I just said. Love speculates mm-hmm. that MacArthur had tried to warn them, got swept away. Um, this theory would also explain the set of oilskins remaining inside and MacArthur's coat still being on the peg, mm. but the closed door and gate still didn't make sense for this. Um, another yeah. theory is based on the firsthand experiences of Walter Alde- Aldebert, um, a keeper on the flannel eye on the flannels from 1953 to 1957. He believed one man may have been washed into the sea, but um, then his companions, who were trying to rescue him, were washed away by rogue waves. He said that waves had gone as high as 300 feet, which went, um, which wet the lamp house. So that's how high up the waves were going. Um, One time he tried to photograph the waves, but almost got washed away by a large wave himself. So. So, there's another theory that was based on the psychological well-being of the Keepers. Of the Keepers. <laughs> <laughs> so, allegedly, MacArthur was a volatile character, which may have led to a fight breaking out near the cliff edge by the West Landing that caused all three men to follow their deaths. Um, there's also a theory that thinks one of the men went insane, killed the other two, disposed of their bodies in the sea, and then just went in himself. Um, there is legend that water sprites live in Scotland. Some are called blue men of the Minch. Of course, yeah. I almost did a story on the blue men of the Minch. Or storm kelpies Mm -hmm. in the outer. What is this? Hebrides. Hebrides. Um, where the Flannel Isles are located. So, they are (laughs) strong, green-haired creatures, and they're said to live in caves and sink ships to drown sailors. It is said that if um, it is said that if the men had encountered these individuals, that they would only survive if they had the last word in a, a rhyming duel. I love that. Um, there's also. <laughs> Otherwise, they get eaten. I would lose. <laughs> but I mean, so they had know, to have a rap battle with, to yeah, survive. Yes, yeah. Anyway. So Audrey will get eaten. <laughs> I don't know i'd be like here's the thing listen listen i don't rap so let's do let's who who can have rock paper scissors yeah (laughs) do you know that one so there's also hold on let me make sure it's uh, now i have uh, ptsd anxiety there is also a legend that when moore got to the island three blackbirds were perched on top of the lighthouse uh they flew into the sky and people claim that the birds were the three keepers who had been turned into birds as a punishment for violating the supernatural power of the island. Keepers on that island for years after reported hearing the names of the men whispered by someone in the wind. Well, oh, I love that. Um, it is also said that the island used to have a strange effect on sheep. So farmers would bring their sheep there to graze, and these sheep would often give birth to twins or miraculously recover from an illness that they were suffering. So they pissed off the nymph that lived there. Um, There's also (laughs) a legend that a spirit haunts the island, so no farmers would ever actually stay the night. They would just bring their sheep and leave. Hold on. Um. I need
1: you to look at the location of these islands (laughs) and explain to me what farmer is this little dots the islands right this is the united kingdom as a whole right this is the big islands right okay we can zoom in to these slightly smaller islands like the hebrides and the outer hebrides right um and even then they're all the way out of here who
0: i couldn't tell you is doing day trips for their sheep it's legend it's legend so um, the 2018 movie *The Vanishing* is based on this story. There's an episode of *Buzzfeed Unsolved*, which Rain and Sh- Ryan and Sh- Ryan and and Shane, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan and Shane, cover this case. Um, the island is featured in many books, and the what the Premier? Where are you looking? The premise, I'm assuming they're trying to say, but I know it said premie, and I was like, I don't know what that means. The premise of this mystery is in Doctor Who. So, So like, the idea of the... Um, The British rock band Genesis wrote and recorded The Mystery of Flannel Isle's Lighthouse in 1968, and it got released in 1998. So, they secretly recorded somebody the story? (laughs) I guess so. That is the story of the Flannel Isle's Lighthouse, and, uh... I, well, nobody I knows what Man happened to it. this day i think they lost a rat battle yeah so that's they had to face the consequences of that so Eminem wouldn't be eaten by kelpies probably not
1: i don't know anything i know about kelpies i don't know anything about kelpies no i don't either so maybe i should cover the blue men of the mitch someday or you you could. can scan
0: but that's all i've got today i thought that was a really fun I one that was really fun too it's really good it's a, it's
1: a little bit of a shame that I didn't get the story I wanted to do to pair it
0: with because they would have paired well, but... It's okay. I can find another Scotland one. There's a lot. Maybe I'll do There's the There's a lot blue of good men. Scotlands.
1: You can do the Blue Men with Mitch and I can do mine.
0: Anyway, uh, try not to kill anybody and don't mess with Ouija boards. Bye. Right.